The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Good evening. Welcome to Fearless, Fabulous You. I'm your host, Melanie Young, and this is your Women's Empower Hour. Uh, I'm actually broadcasting from a very beautiful, bright, sunny place, uh, Maui, and so wishing you a happy new year to all listening. And because I'm looking at beautiful sun, I wanted to start the first show of the new year with something I call shine a light. Light is something that makes all of us feel more brilliant and bright. And my guests tonight are two women who are going to discuss light in two very separate and important ways in our lives. My first guest is Dr. Stacy Radin, who is a psychologist and the founder of an amazing program called Unleashed. I'm going to let Stacy explain Unleashed, but basically it involves two things that I'm very passionate about. The first is rescuing puppies. I am the proud parent of a rescue, Sazerac, and he is a life changer for us, my husband David and me. And the second is empowering young girls, powering up young girls. We, there's a big debate about empowering and empowering and giving them the self-esteem and self-worth to take charge and become engaged in community and social justice matters. Stacy, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. I have a, it's a great night to be on the radio. It is. I also want to note that you have a new book coming out as of tomorrow called Brave Girls, Raising Young Women with Passion and Purpose to Become Powerful Leaders. It's by Simon & Schuster. So it's great timing to have you on. And, and the first thing I want to immediately talk about is what is Unleashed? What is, it, what is the organization? And what is its mission? And then how does it work? So it's a three-part question. First, what is it? Right. So Unleashed is my what I call my, my third child, but it is a social justice program for middle school girls. It's empowering them to take a stand against an injustice that they care deeply about, and they're advocating over the course of 12 weeks. They're advocating for animal rights and welfare. Um, and over those 12 weeks, they are developing critical tools that they will use throughout the course of their lives to address any social problem or issue that they feel strongly about. So my first question to that is, uh, why middle school girls? And what is the age group that we're talking about there? Yeah, so middle school girls can range anywhere from 10 to 15, depending on the school in New York City. And, and you'll probably talk about that, that we partner with schools in mm -hmm. our New York City region. Um, so that could be anywhere from 10 to 15. And the reason why middle school girls is that um, during this critical time in their development, the biggest question that they're experimenting with and faced with is, who am I? And so it's a wonderful, um, advantageous time to really look at a girl's experience and give her 
the opportunity to develop tools um, in this discovery period. And my hypothesis was always that it would cultivate these skills and tools so as she could, uh, you know, they, they could grow almost like planting seeds in a garden, that mm-hmm. they could grow over the course of her life and shape and mature um, so that she can, again, use them throughout uh, many different stages, whether it's high school, college, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, I, you know, I just want to say that my own adolescence was one of the most uh, impactful, good and bad periods of my life. Uh, you know, the challenge with young girls that age is they can be uh, very um, malleable. They can also be pretty nasty to each other. Um, you know, it's when they start seeing the differences in people's backgrounds, you know, uh, ethnicities, socioeconomic, um, mm-hmm. cliques form, and it's important at that point to set them on the right path so that they have a strong foundation for better self-esteem. What I love about Unleash, which basically um, the girls help you rescue puppies. Off, you know, literally, they're flown in from mills, correct? Yeah, rescue. So basically, this is the trickiest part of Unleash that actually... Um, you know, off 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 the website, um, the real truth is that over the course of 12 weeks, we're empowering them to be social activists and being right. animal rights activists. So they look at the core issues, they they drill down to what the, the roots of those issues are, and then try to create um, sustainable change in those particular issues, whether it's education, um, events, uh, petitions, anything that they would do as a community organizer. The, the reason that we operate the puppy rescue was that um, twofold is one that it ignites their passion because it's, mm-hmm. it's real to them. But secondly, my theory of social change was that if you are advocating for a cause, regardless of what that cause is, that you should have the template that you are, that you are working directly with the population you're advocating for. So it becomes their message, not your personal message, if you haven't experienced that issue. So we, would they do all the puppy intakes with me, the, the behavior observations and the, and the mm-hmm. temperament testing of all the puppies that are coming in from high-kill shelters all over the region um, who are euthanizing dogs at, at great rates, um, millions and millions of dogs, um, which is reported. Terrible. Who knows what's happening in the underreported um, incidents. But... They are doing that type of work, and we use the rescue to present different challenges. So if we want to, um, the girls to learn a specific skill, let's say brainstorming, we might bring some challenge of the rescue into that team meeting and say, you know, um, not, you know, here I want you to, to develop brainstorming skills, but here's our challenge. We need to come up with a description of this puppy that you met a name, and we need to post this on Pet Finder. So the girls mm-hmm. have an actual task to work on together, collaborate, come to consensus, and vote um, so that they do, that they've gone through that, that leadership tool, that leadership skill of brainstorming, but in a, in a way that's relevant to them. 
You know, and I want to just point out, first of all, that uh, Unleash was developed in 2010, and you worked with a think tank of 20 women, women to build the foundation. And in doing your research, which I also want to point out, in reading about your own background, your doctorate was on uh, addressing uh, young girls of this age. So this has always been mm-hmm. something very important to you, even though in your professional consulting you help executive women, which we'll get into. But you researched that uh, animal rights and the welfare of of innocent uh, creatures was very important and a passionate topic for these young girls. And in many ways, it was like they, from the personal standpoint, they want to make sure that, you know, how puppies are cared for is how they want to be cared for and nurtured. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, so I thought that was a really interesting juxtaposition in your book, Brave Girls. And, and some of the examples you show, which I'd like you to share, is how uh, a girl who may have been more withdrawn or more rambunctious changes over the course of the 12 weeks to become uh, a better team player, uh, a better advocate, more outspoken. Can you give maybe one or two examples of that um, to show how they interacted with the program and how it changed the girl in the process? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the basic hypothesis, which is now validated after doing this for five years, is mm-hmm. that uh, women and girls are, are you know, uh, guilty of this same syndrome, is we are really good at negotiating for someone else. We are really good at advocating for whatever is not relevant to us personally. Not that we don't care about it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have an impact on us. So we don't negotiate well for ourselves and advocate for ourselves, but we're willing to advocate for something else. So the process starts with that, knowing that and knowing that about women and girls, that was the hook, is that I wanted them to not be so focused on themselves, but focused on something that they were passionate about. And mm-hmm. once they could find their, once they could be that animal's voice and practice standing up for something that was more vulnerable than even they are, then we could take that skill and we could go backwards. So for example, if a girl... Um, was talking about a specific issue that she was passionate about, and we do this exercise, Speak from, the, speak from Your Heart, mm-hmm. where they take a piece of paper out of a bag and they have to talk about animal abuse or dog fighting or something, and they have to give um, their thoughts as if they were on a soapbox. And mm-hmm. we could take that and we can give them the opportunity to have the floor, is what I call it, is take your floor back, is be in the, in the forefront and stand up for what you believe in for the animal We then trace that back and say, okay, if you did that for that animal, and now that I'm asking you to go through an exercise where it's more, much more self-aware and much more where you would have to say, I don't feel comfortable, for example, I don't feel comfortable saying that or I don't feel comfortable doing that and giving them that language is that we've stretched them to say, if you did this for an animal, what, what are you, what is, What's your potential to do that for yourself? And why are you not doing that for yourself? Where's, where's kind of the gap for you? So we've seen girls who are really comfortable being really angry about what's happening for homeless animals, for example, mm-hmm. or animals that have been abused. And then push comes to shove, um, cannot articulate what they personally need from the group or what they personally want to get out of this program for themselves and their own leadership to change their own lives. But I've seen that once they start have the muscle to speak out, then they start to transfer that muscle again to other contexts, whether it is 
speaking in front of an audience of 100 and not knowing what the questions are going to be, speaking mm-hmm. on an expert panel, or even in their classroom, girls will report that now I'm not afraid to say my mind. I'm not afraid of being a nonconformist. I'm not afraid to say something that maybe some other people don't agree with because I know that I didn't fall apart and unleashed when that happened. We all mm-hmm. agree to disagree. When they have that permission and when they have the experience of someone not coming in and criticizing or judging them and being able to just speak your mind, that muscle and that skill is transferred to other contexts. And very much so. And one of the things, you know, um, it, and it translates all the way up as you move up in the world because in your um, – you also have a company called Corporate EQ, where you work with mm-hmm. uh, women executives who are of a different age, helping mm-hmm. um, them in terms of their own um, power boosting. Um, you, t- you talk a lot in the book in the beginning about empower versus power and how some right. view power and women negatively and, and women have to own their power at every age. And you give some really interesting examples of women who can't, give themselves even their own review of themselves with the confidence they have. Um, and it, it, to me, uh, a program like Unleash helps women be their own advocate while they're serving as an advocate for something they're passionate about. And, and some of the statistics you talk about um, with this particular middle school age group, um, you know, uh, they have a lot of anxiety about achieving their appearance, fitting in, and that um, anxiety boosts low, you know, creates low self-esteem, and and mm-hmm. and that's key to overcome if you want to continue through life and achieve all the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah, and it really brings, you know, in in the book, you know, um, bringing together from a very systemic perspective of middle school girls is, you know, they are at this critical age that the the structures are loosening so they're not elementary kids anymore they mm-hmm. get you know they have much more independence their bodies are changing physiologically yes. brain wise that their brain development is you know the critical thinking is high um, the synapses in the brain start to melt together so they they are able to you know have a different sense of moral reasoning and philosophical reasoning and all these different changes in their body and this and and in their mind and and in their social structures, uh, that has to have an impact. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, parents naturally start to let go a little bit mm-hmm. when I think this is probably the time to stay, as I call it, more of a navigating system of the car, you know, the shadow. But what happens is we see an older person right before our eyes because they've mm-hmm. changed so dramatically physically that we assume that they're ready for so much more than than they are because they are still children and they are still struggling with lots of developmental milestones and challenges uh, that they do need a lot more support. So I think parents and teachers and, and people that work with middle school girls sometimes forget the fact that they are still, it's only been a year since they left elementary school mm-hmm. um, and they haven't changed, as, although they look dramatically different internally and psychologically, they haven't changed you know, so much that they are completely autonomous and independent. 
I completely agree with you. I mean, my father always used to say I was 13 going on 20. But, Mm -hmm. you know, um, emotionally, I was still quite immature. And I think a lot of young girls are. And one of the things you you say you hope that um, of the many things you say in Brave Girls, your new book, is that um, Brave Girls and programs such as Unleashed foster a sense of gender bilingualism. Helping Mm -hmm. girls, boys, women, and men master their own language while fluently understanding one another inherently in complementary strengths. And that's a combination. You you talk about emotional thinking versus intelligent thinking Mm -hmm. and how important it is to build confidence in emotional thinking. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a thing I think that is a big void in our society for men and women Mm -hmm. um, is that we're so relying on test scores and how, you know, how kids do in school or their performance as an athlete. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the, the bar has raised dramatically even since I was a child in terms of, you know, expecting our kids to do it all. Um, sometimes I, I liken it to, you know, you go to a diner and you're shown a menu and we're basically telling girls, you know, you eat it all, you know, so here's the menu where the society is now giving you all the opportunities you craved for. Now you have to eat it all versus I think with boys, we're more likely to hand them the menu and say, why don't you choose one or two, you know, maybe an appetizer and a a main course or dessert, but you choose, you have the options. And I think we're, people are so apt to say, you know, you wanted this, you wanted these opportunities. Now you have to be the super girl that you said you wanted to be versus coaching them to make choices and make choices that are relevant to them and what they're passionate about and what they're interested in. I think those are some really good points. I mean, I, I, grew up that way as well. I wanted it all and, and, and as an adult tried to have it all and at some point it, you can't, my mother sat me down once and said you can't have it all. You got to make choices. You have to set priorities otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy and not master everything. And men seem to have a better handle of that sometimes and be less stressed than women. So why do you, that's why I seem to have more stressed out women friends than men friends. Yeah, um, women biologically are more they have that antenna in terms yeah. of the emotional intelligence pieces, I mean, that's what I, you know, that's an asset. But it can also be a curse, right? So they're very sensitive to what's going on in their environment. They're biologically programmed to look out mm-hmm. and be very, you know, very receptive to what's happening in their world and their environment, which, again, could be very useful and, and an asset when you're navigating this kind of labyrinth of life and, and need right. to overcome challenges and hurdles and things like that. But at the same time, if you're overly sensitive to all the stimulation and and cues that are coming in, which happens again in middle school is when they're, Mm -hmm. you know, as they're growing and developing, they're also becoming very attuned to what the environment is telling them they quote should be uh, and versus, you know, what they want to be. And that's a big point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very big point, what you should be versus what you want to be, because you need to live up to your own expectations and not everybody else's expectations. If you don't do that, you are setting yourself up for trouble ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think really. girls are much more sensitive to the shoulds. Versus yeah, versus I will. Uh, I will. I want. 
And you and you talk about that as well. Those and and like I said, the empower versus power. You really want to say in, in your mission statement, it, it puts the power in the in these girls' hands to make decisions and to be an advocate. I want to point out um, since its inception, more than three hundred girls have participated in the Unleash program, which is now expanded to twelve different uh, locations and twenty for middle schools and community centers through New York City. Are there plans to take Unleashed around the country? Because the model is is a successful model, and I'm sure other markets would love to have this. Yes, and we struggled with this for a while because at the end of 2010, we were in O Magazine, and I literally got calls from every mother, parent, Mm-hmm. Um, teacher, educator, come to our city and had to make a really smart decision of we're not ready mm-hmm. and have spent the past four years really honing the model and making it standardized. And now that the book is coming out, we are planning to go national. We're talking to many different cities about what that would entail and how they might um, have the program, which would, again, be planting roots in those cities advisory councils, almost like what I did with the think tank here in New York, you know, for six Mm -hmm. months or eight months working with a group of dynamic um, professional women who were invested in this concept and wanted to help, you know, make it come to fruition. And I think that would have to happen in each city. But as I'm out there and, you know, doing speaking engagements for Brave Girls, it will be a great opportunity to introduce the concept of Unleashed and see if cities and regions are really ready for for this program. What would, in addition to having the think tank in a market, what are the other resources that you would require? I think the model that we're going to use, and again, we're just starting to think about this, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I think the model we would use is that each uh, city would have to have its own independent 501c that, that reports back to you know, mm-hmm. Unleashed headquarters. Um, so it would have to be able to fundraise um, to support the program in their area and the staff that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. So I think fundraising capacity, also the resources, connections to to various schools. They'd have to actually have um, coaches who are clinicians. So our coaches go through a three-month training program, but they have to start out with a, some sort of counseling degree mm-hmm. um, to be able to be part of the training program. So, again, identifying um, professionals that would be interested to go through the three-month training program. And identifying the schools, because one of the, I think mm-hmm. you have a charter school is one of the schools um, yes. you mentioned, different, you have different kinds of schools in New York and centers. Yes. Um, how are the mm-hmm. schools selected? They select us, oh. but um, okay. my model is that we serve all girls, which mm-hmm. is a little different in the not-for-profit world that I've learned in the beginning. You know, I, like you said, I had corporate EQ because I came in from a for-profit mindset, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't understand why I was getting... Um, you know, encourage not to serve all girls, that in the not-for-profit world you serve, you know, a specific, you know, girl, whether it's an impoverished girl or a girl with mm-hmm. challenges. I personally felt that this was, should be, a, you know, a sisterhood in, right. um, and not to be really, you know, um, you know, light about this at all, but a sisterhood where girl, my theory was that if we're going to solve complex social problems in our nation and we see how 
divided our nation is right now, we did need to bring many different types of people together to look mm-hmm. at the problem from multiple perspectives, but also learn how to work together, even if you didn't look like or didn't come from the similar background, because I think that's one of the biggest problems in our country right now, is that if you don't look like me and you don't act like me, then I can't that I can't work with you or we're not allowed to disagree where that I wanted to break that I wanted to break down barriers. I wanted to bring to build the template in girls is that when there is a big social problem, all different types of people have to come and look at it from multiple perspectives and, and work towards common ground. You're absolutely right. And, and again, you know, one of the uh, wonderful things about the program is it is a social equalizer built around a common passion and purpose, which is rescuing innocent puppies. And this is an age where suddenly the haves and the have-nots can be clearly separated if you're not careful. And, um, and, and that's, I think, one of the beautiful things about it because, uh, you know, you can be a mean girl or you can be a, you know, compassionate girl. And, it, it, and it's a, you know, this is the a, a time when there are a lot of cliques and oh, some are dating and some have, you know, mm-hmm. some have um, more maturity and others physically. And, and it's such a crazy time. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I would never want to repeat that time of my life again. And those women, ninety-nine percent of women would say the same. <laughs> so I applaud you for for taking this this um, time. Now you're also a parent. Um, mm-hmm. How old are your um, children? Fourteen and seventeen, and my fourteen-year-old is a, is a girl who has been obviously part of Unleashed in many ways, mm-hmm. shapes, or and form, and you know, practice what you preach, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so I, I have a live person that I've practiced with <laughs> um, <laughs> who is, does live with me. And, and, you know, I see the challenges even from being a parent and can relate to even watching your daughter go through many different stages and, and seeing that, you know, firsthand and seeing the difference between having a son and a daughter and really seeing, you know, I'm the same parent. You know, I'm the same person that knowing that my son and daughter have literally had so, you know, uh, other than being individuals, but the gender differences are really remarkable in watching that right before my eyes. In in what ways, for example? Um, I just remembered my son, Justin, being in middle school, and I was like, middle school's not that bad at a parent, you know, teacher conference and a mother turned around to me and said, do you have a son? And I said, yes. And she's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And I said, oh, what do you mean by that? And I do think uh, girls are, again, I think a little more, they're tougher on themselves. So I find that girls are a little bit more critical of themselves. Mm -hmm. Boys also are, can be in the moment and, you know, kind of stand up for what they believe in and maybe get into an argument to assert themselves. But then quickly, go back or they get into a fight with a friend, for example, and quickly can bounce back very quickly and just it's forgotten where I find that a female, a girl will will struggle with that. It's not just over for them. And even if you process it and let them have their space, it's just, it's lingering. It's kind of like the gray cloud that kind of hangs over their head um, versus just letting it go. 
And unfortunately, that can follow you uh, through. Women tend to beat themselves up more about Mm -hmm. mistakes and misjudgments than ever. And yet, um, I want to note, in in Brave Girls, you have so many interesting, you did a lot of research. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we have also come very far. uh, Let's see, 89% of us open bank accounts, 58% of us online shopping, 83% of women today um, control the power of consumer purchasing. You know, um, 70 to 90% of household health care decisions are made by women. 55% of us buy a consumer electronics. You have some amazing stats. And yet, while we're doing all this stuff and, you know, it's like uh, more women today are opening their own businesses, uh, one in 18 um, women are, only one in 18 are running Fortune 500. We still make 69 cents on the dollar and less than 17% of congressional members are women. Um, so there's work to be done still in government and in big business, but I think women are shining quite well in entrepreneurism, which I think Unleash also um, helps promote in terms of having women make decisions for themselves as well as with a team. So it's building a foundation for women to go out on their own, I think, as well. Um, we are uh, we have our next guest coming on, so I just want to uh, have you tell people where can um, people learn more. Your website and uh, Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. It's unleashednyc.org, correct? It's unleashedny.org. Unleashedny.org, mm-hmm. and your Twitter handle is also unleashed. unleashed. Okay. Ny org. Okay, and um, you are going to be touring around the country with Brave Girls, correct? Yes, I'm um, getting speaking engagements and will be Good. anywhere a city wants to host a Brave Girl dialogue. I will be heading out to, to inspire women and men to advance um, gender equality. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Stacy Radin, for what? for taking this important step and making it your cause and our cause and helping shape the young ladies of the future. Um, I support this organization, Unleashed, wholeheartedly, and I hope others will as well. And I look forward to following your progress. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. It goes so quickly. I know it. Well, you'll come back and we'll talk more next year or later on this year. We're already in the new year. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. That was Dr. Stacy Radin, the founder of Unleashed, terrific organization. And I'm your host, Melanie Young, and this is Fearless Fabulous You. Please follow me at Mighty Melanie on Twitter. My Facebook page is Fearless Fabulous Melanie, and my website is Melanie Young, M E L A N I E, Young, Y O U N G dot com. As I said at the top of the show, this show is dedicated to light, shining a light. And Dr. Stacy Radin is about shining a light to help enlighten young girls to be their own advocates for change themselves and social justice um, in the support of rescuing innocent animals. Uh, our next guest is going to talk about light in another way. Um, this is winter. And many people, in fact, like half a million people, Americans, a large number are affected by something called seasonal affective disorder, uh, which is real. Uh, I don't know who out there has um, experienced it, but I was doing some reading on it, and um, it's not just a winter illness. It can actually happen in the summer. So joining me now is Dr. Sabrina 
Brem. She is a nurse practitioner at Columbia Doctors in New York City. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I have to tell you, Dr. Brem, I am in Hawaii, and I just got a big dose of vitamin D, which I needed, because I often am one of those people that starts to feel lethargic, and I want to curl up in a ball when it gets dark out. What is seasonal affective disorder? Well, Hawaii is definitely a good place to be right now. (laughs) Uh, Seasonal affective disorder is um, a mood disorder um, where people who have normal mental health most of the year have symptoms of depression during either the winter or the summer, like you mentioned. It's less common, but it can happen in the summer, too. Um, But the key is that the rest of the year... They don't have symptoms of depression. So this isn't necessarily someone who has major depression. It's um, a, a type of depression, I'm going to say that lightly, uh, based on changes in the season and, and, and mainly de- affected by people who are affected by light or lack of, correct? Exactly. Um, the pathophysiology has to do with the way that light impacts um, different hormones and and um, the circadian rhythm. So it has to do with how um, the disruption in light in the wintertime usually is the most common form of seasonal affective disorder. Um, It has to do with how your body makes melatonin. So... Um, may I call you Sabrina? I always get first name basis. It's always just sure. that's the way I am. What are some symptoms? Like, wh- how do you feel when you have seasonal effect, which is called SAD, seasonal right. affective disorder? Well, you might feel a little more groggy in the morning or trouble waking up, um, tendency to overeat, especially more cravings for carbohydrates, um, lack of energy. Less loss of pleasure in the activities you normally enjoy, difficulty concentrating, and social withdrawal can be all can be symptoms. Um, also, you sleep more, and you know you just feel offset. You just feel off, and 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 it, this could go on for a period of time. It can go throughout winter. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, what are some ways? that you can counter this if you find this coming on? And what are some natural ways first we'll talk about? Well, definitely try to expose yourself as much as possible to daylight. So in the morning hours, try to try to wake up when it's light outside and try to exercise outdoors as much as possible. Do outdoor sports if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to open up the, the blinds in your house to expose yourself to more natural light. Um, exercise is also really important for your well-being, and especially with seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, I, I, well, I believe that if you're depressed or not feeling good about yourself, exercise or what I call movement, some people don't like the word exercise, is important no matter what. First of all, if you have seasonal affective disorder, or and particularly when you live in a a cold climate where I, I know I normally live. I live in the Hudson Valley. And it gets dark at like five in December, I swear. Um, you're not moving around a lot. You're cold. You're bundled up. You're not getting out. And, and you're in the dark. And, and what do you do when you're not moving and going out? You eat. 
Right. You sit in front of the TV set <laughs> or the computer. And computers are not natural light, right? So a computer right. does not count. <laughs> no, that's artificial light. Definitely. But I want to bring up, I was online um, doing a little research before the show. Uh, I went to some of the different, you know, sites, and there are there is light therapy that um, right. is an option. What are your what is that, and what are the options, and what are your thoughts on it, and who's a candidate? Well, I think anybody who's feeling these symptoms should talk to their doctor because it can be a little bit complicated deciding exactly which. Um, light box to get and um, you have to determine exactly what voltage is right for you. Um, There's a certain distance that you're required to be in front of the light. So Mm -hmm. basically it's a light box that um, emits light that's similar to the wavelengths of of natural light Um, and at at certain intensities it can mimic sunlight and it's um, usually it's about um, 12 to 24 inches away from the light source, and usually for usually the first few days is for 15 minutes a day in front of the light and then gradually building up to 30 to 45 minutes a day. Um, and you want to have your eyes open but not stare directly at the light because it can do some retinal damage. Um, but there are certain types of light boxes that work better than others. Um, so it's important to talk to your your provider about which one would be the best for you. Yeah, you know when I went on when I went on the line, I, I saw light boxes for sale. Mm-hmm. This isn't something you buy, is it? It's something you get treated. I mean, if you go to a you know if you opt for getting light therapy, which is called phototherapy. You're not buying a, a piece of equipment. You're going to a doctor, aren't you? Well, um, in order to do it at home, you need to buy one. So mm. um, it would be an investment of a couple hundred dollars, usually for a quality one. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, none of them are approved by the FDA, oh. which means which means that it can be very difficult to submit to insurance, um, which is hopefully something that over time maybe can change. Well, also I want to point out for anyone listening, light therapy does not involve going to a tanning bed. No, that's that's (laughs) Or a sun lamp. And I'm saying that because I do believe that there are people out there who think that. And and, and sadly, growing up as a young girl, my mother thought that it would help me. And she stuck me in front of a sun lamp way too many times because my mother believed that a sun lamp would, you know – be the summer feeling she wanted in the winter. And uh, all it really did was damage both of our skins. Right. So, you don't want to have UV light. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need that. Yeah. I mean, really, um, when if somebody is experiencing uh, the symptoms, and again, uh, the uh, symptoms just to line, you're irritable, tired or low energy and not just the usual tired or low energy because you're working too hard. You just have low energy. Um, you've had that, uh, one of the symptoms is, is feeling leaden, just that weight. 
um, you're tired and you crave, uh, you tend to crave carbo foods and what they call comfort foods and carbohydrate foods and heavy foods, which is what winter food is. So you're gaining weight because you're probably not moving. Those are typical symptoms. Um, and obviously diet is an important thing. You know, how would you advise someone who's feeling the symptoms to um, address it through diet? Obviously, reduce your carbs and the heavy cheese and bread. Um, What Um, else would you suggest? What about caffeine? How do you feel about caffeine and alcohol if somebody is experiencing SAD? I think caffeine can be dangerous um, because it can be addictive. Same with alcohol. Um, Caffeine can um, trigger more mood swings as well and make you feel Mm. more irritable. I think in moderation, it's okay, a glass or two a day. Um, Not a huge mug, but a real, you know, eight-ounce glass is fine um, if you need a little boost in the morning. Ooh, eight ounces is a lot of caffeine. I usually do a little cup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are you from Seattle? (laughs) (laughs) I guess it depends how... How much water you put in that cup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what I recommend. I, I trained as a health coach. I'm gonna, something I think is really um, helpful when you, because I try to only have one cup of coffee a day because I'm one of those people that just goes bonkers if I keep having it throughout the day. Obviously, uh, non-caffeinated herbal tea. Uh, and I like to um, cook up my vegetables. I saute them in a pan with just water, steam them. And I keep the juice that's in the bottom of the pan. And I'll heat that and sip on it. And it's like a natural uh, vegetable broth, which is great because it kind of um, gives you that warm feeling when you want something warm in the winter, but it doesn't give you caffeine or fat. Yeah, that's a great idea for comfort food. I I like herbal teas a lot, too. Um, uh, you know, and iced or hot. I, I always um, cook, I make up a pot of herbal tea, and then I put what I don't drink in the refrigerator and have it as iced uh, non-caffeinated herbal tea later in the day for a pick-me-up. And I also think that if you are in um, the midwinter blues or experiencing anything like that, try to eat sunnier foods. I know some of them aren't necessarily in season, but, you know, if you can find a pineapple, eat a pineapple or eat citrus, a lot of citrus. Because if you eat sunnier foods and colorful foods, it will, I think, first of all, they're better for you, but also they'll put you in a better mood. Definitely. And also there's some research that shows that vitamin D can also help. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to get vitamin D from food, but fatty fish has some vitamin D in it. Milk. So. Eggs. You know, most people, I'm finding, because so many of us are not getting enough sun um, because it's either winter or we're not, other than from living in Arizona or Florida, we're living in areas where there's less sun, particularly in the winter, but also we're all wearing more sunscreen. Right. Right. We need about 15 minutes of of um, exposure to sun a day without any kind of sunscreen. I think that's really important to repeat. We need 15 minutes of exposure to daylight or sun without sunscreen a day. You're not going to get skin cancer because your face was out for 15 minutes, but you will feel better and it's natural and it helps your vitamin D levels, um, which should be tested if you go to a doctor, particularly if you're not getting enough sun. Definitely. 
Um, you see a lot of vitamin D deficiencies, especially this time of year, and it can cause you to feel tired and depressed. And mm-hmm. um, there's so much research now about links to vitamin D and um, and cancer, even. Yes, and you know, again, you are a nurse practi- practitioner at Columbia Doctors, and do you recommend that people get their vitamin D levels checked on a regular basis? Well. There are no guidelines for checking it regularly unless you have risk factors. Right. Um, Certain ethnicities are more at risk. For example, Hispanic or darker colored skin. Um, People with darker colored skin are more at risk for deficiencies. And people who stay indoors for most of the time are more at risk. But there's no standardized um, criteria for who should be screened and who should not. So how do you know if you need vitamin D? I'm bringing that up to segue to this point. I do get my vitamin D levels checked because I am on a drug called Arimidex. Um, It's a breast cancer endocrine therapy, and and it does impact your vitamin D levels. So I know what I need to take. But, you know, there are so many companies out there and people selling supplements and vitamins. And you read about it all in magazines, and then you start buying stuff that you may or may not need, which is why I brought the question up because I think a lot of people are, could be wasting their money as well. Right, definitely. I try to check m- most people's vitamin D levels. I think it depends on each individual. Um, it's a conversation that each individual should have with their provider. I agree. I, I mean, I think I think it's it's one be very open when you go to your provider to talk about your habits your eating and drinking habits and your exercise habits because a lot of your lifestyle habits can impact your um, your different levels of different vitamins and nutrients in your body and also how you're eating. Um, I will say clearly I'm one of the people out there who believes you can get most of your nutrients through eating uh, clean whole foods and getting outside and getting fresh air and daylight um, versus spending a lot on supplements that you may or may not need. but And you should always see a professional about that. Um, we have a few more minutes left. Hey, um, just a quick segue, the flu. Uh, I got a flu shot, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I got a flu. Good. <laughs> I, got the, I got the flu shot. I felt fluish after the shot, and then I got a kind of different kind of flu in November. Oh, no. Not terrible, but it was, you know, it, I wasn't feeling well. Um, what are some things uh, that we should be thinking about when we get outside so we don't get the flu, whether you've got the shot or not. Yeah, well, you it's a good point because this year the shot um, isn't quite as effective as we would I know. have liked. Um, it doesn't cover the most prevalent strain. It's difficult to predict. But with that said, um, you should still get the flu shot because it's the best protection that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It can also, if you do get the flu, it's possible that it has some sort of um, antibodies to make you have a more mild version of it, and it also gives you protection against other strains of the flu that are out there. Um, But when you're outside, it's important if you're going to be in a public place especially. Mm -hmm. It's difficult when people are coughing and not covering their mouths. Oh, trust me nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Well... It would be nice if everybody could practice good etiquette and cover their mouths. Um, well, and you know, I'm going to say right now, riding the subway, nothing makes me crazier 
than seeing a child with a parent standing over that child and the child is just sneezing away, just sneezing away yeah. and not covering the, his or her mouth with, or, you know, or elbow. And I, I you know, you, gosh, you can't say anything to the child, but it's like teach your children as well because a lot of kids get sick that way and then the kids give it to the parents and it just goes on and on. Um, we have about two minutes left. I have to tell you a story. Uh, the hairdresser, my mother goes to a hairdresser in Chattanooga where I'm from and he posted on Facebook today, please don't come get your hair done if you have the flu. Because oh, apparently good. Chattanooga has a very high incidence of flu this year, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And wow. that's something to think of. If you have any kind of symptoms of a cold or flu, don't go out and do stuff like get your hair done or get a facial <laughs> or go, don't go, you know. To the gym either cause yeah, don't go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, be considerate and wipe and wipe everything off that you touch. I mean, I you know, I I, I carry antibacterial soap and then I carry hand cream because the soap is killing my hands. My nails are as dry as a bone. I do too. I love the antibacterial hand sanitizers. It's always best if you can wash your hands with warm soap and water for Mm -hmm. at least twenty seconds. Mm -hmm. But on the go, I love the hand sanitizers. Well, I love them too, provided I have hand cream afterward to, to do with the my poor nails are so dry from yeah, being sanitized. Well, yeah, well I wanna thank you. Columbia Doctors is located thank where in Manhattan? It's located on fifty first street between fifth and sixth avenue. Okay. And it is part of um what's the full name of the hospital so I get it right? Columbia University Medical? Yes, Columbia University Medical Center. Yeah, which which just for the record, I got it right. It's it's a very large teaching school in Manhattan and a phenomenal. Uh, I um, in my book, getting things off my chest, a survivor's guide to staying fearless and fabulous in the face of breast cancer. I had Dr. Sheldon Goldman and Dr. Margaret Chin as two of my experts on breast cancer, and they are amazing. Yes, definitely. Really great respect for them. Well, I want to thank you for being on. Stay well this thank winter. You. Get some you light. Too. Go outside. Having me. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was uh, a nurse practitioner uh, with a doctorate, Dr. Sabrina Chen from Columbia Doctors, um, keeping us uh, aware of how to stay healthy this winter and avoid uh, seasonal affective disorder, which is like deep winter blues, and also avoid the flu. Um, I am Melanie Young, your host for Fearless Fabulous You. Um, Next week, uh, two interesting guests on. One is Victoria Bargut, uh, who is founder of Viver, which is a um, nutritional. They do these really cool nutritional pamphlets um, to help you make better decisions about what you eat. And we're actually going to be talking about poop, like what's your poo telling you? She's an expert and has done talks on gastrointestinal issues. And then my second guest will be um, Fern Berman, uh, a public relations colleague of mine who transformed her life after facing a health challenge and is now a professional a photographer and we're going to talk about how she how she faced her health challenge manages it and it's multiple sclerosis and is now a renowned photographer so please join me next week i want to note on our show wednesday the connected table live uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern, my co-host David Ransom and I will be interviewing Julie Reiner, uh, one of the top mixologists in the country who is from Hawaii and uh, lives in New York and 
Chef Philippe Chin, who is a chef from Philadelphia, now with a restaurant in Maui. So it will be our Aloha segment. So until then, enjoy your week. Stay fearless and fabulous always. And I will be back next week with another show. Thank you. 